Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast that is sponsored by the Institute for Conscious Being, and we're excited to be back today. With us today, we have Dr. Joseph Howell. How Hello. are you? Hello, Erica. You doing okay? I'm fine. Glad to be here. Okay. I typically comment on your shirt. Uh, today, you have a really pretty red shirt on, so I, I hope you're feeling fiery. Okay. Good. And... Uh, we also have with us a guest, Denise Smith. She is currently a student uh, in the Institute for Conscious Beings training, and she currently resides here in Anniston, Alabama, is, uh, the, is a wife and also uh, the mother of three children, two boys and a girl, two adults. She has a younger son with autism and has uh, homeschooled and been very active in his care. And so we welcome you today, Denise. Thanks so much, Erica. I am thrilled to be here. Great. Well, okay, so in our last podcast, we begin discussion about the soul child, and that is a very uh, in-depth subject. And so we, we touched on it, but then I think today we wanted to get back to the soul child. So Dr. Howell, if you don't mind, would you just kind of give us a brief introduction again to the soul child, mm -hmm. and then maybe we'll take it a little bit deeper and maybe ask a few questions about yeah. it. I'd be glad to. <clears throat> well, the soul child is a concept that was first articulated by A.H. Almas, and he used words around the soul child, like the libidinal child. Um, his student, um, Sandra Maitre, um, who is a, a wonderful person, has uh, written several books, one of which is uh, The Spiritual Dimensions of the Enneagram. In that book, she goes on with describing the soul child and gives nine basic descriptions of the nine different soul children for each of the nine types. Um, I, too, in my book, Becoming Conscious, expand on this in my own experience from having worked with children for, well, since the 1970s um, in therapy and family therapy. Um, uh, giving ideas uh, from developmental psychology and the way the child's mind seems to work. Uh, I, too, give descriptions of the nine soul children. Um, since then, since 2012, my book, um, I've learned more, and uh, we continue to learn more about this thing called the soul child. It basically is the life force that was placed in us at our making. When was our making? We don't know. 
Was it conception? Is it sometime in the womb? Is it at birth? When did this life force come into us? Is it biological? Is it spiritual? Is it both? We don't know all of those answers. But what we do know is, is that there is a primal force that gives us life and that it is more than just a psychological structure and it is more than a biological structure. It's more like an interplay between those two that keeps us interested in life, keeps us fascinated, keeps us waking up in the morning, keeps us wanting to eat the next meal, keeps us wanting to maybe uh, see further afield and visit what we haven't visited before, psychologically and geographically. Um, This is a childlike love of life that we all have. And we first had it when we were kids. We first had it in its purest form from the day we did emerge from the womb. If you think about that, we did not have an ego when we emerged from the womb. We may have had the really beginnings of an ego because we had a survival instinct. And the ego is a tributary, psychologically, from the survival instinct because it is our psychological survival instinct. And the instinct itself begins as a biological instinct. We want to suck the milk. We want to be held. We want to, excuse me, defecate. We want to laugh or giggle. Um, And as we get beyond the neonatal and baby stage, we begin to love that pure beingness that allows us to be naked in front of people and we don't care. Sort of like, to borrow a biblical thing, Adam and Eve were naked before each other and did not care. It is pure innocence. And that innocence and that ability to feel the tethering to the divine and feel the safety of that, and as Almas puts it, to have the feeling of being held, being upholded, being upheld by something bigger than ourselves, the universe, our parents, the surroundings. We are not just flying out there by the seat of our pants. We are part of something big, and we know it. So therefore, we have a feeling of safety, of replenishment, of supply, of affection, of happiness. And it's referred to by a lot of writers, and I agree with this reference, It's referred to as our bliss. And we were in bliss, many of us, unless we were neglected or abused. And that is the case, sadly, for a lot of children. But by and large, unless those things were operating, 
we were living in bliss. There were no expectations we knew we had to fulfill. There was no correct dress we had to do. There was no specific way we had to eat. There was nothing that we could say that would hurt anybody's feelings. We simply loved and gave love. Okay. So if I am a person listening to this podcast and uh, the name of the podcast being The Real Enneagram, what does the soul child have to do with the Enneagram? The Enneagram's real purpose is to enable the inquirer of the Enneagram to go to their true nature and to get out of the superficial mind chatter and fixations of the ego. And by following the inner flow of the Enneagram, and we'll get to this in later podcasts about what that inner flow is and what the arrows and the wings are, but let it suffice to say now that that inner flow takes us from our ego point, whatever it is, which one of the nine it may be, to another point on that Enneagram, which is called the point of integration or the soul point. That is the point where our essence is found, and that is also the point where our soul child is. And to be in touch with the essence, it is found that to remember our soul child is a concrete example within each person, if they can have access to it, and many people do, memories of when they were in their bliss. Okay. So you are saying that uh, for those that are wondering how the Enneagram is related Mm -hmm. to the soul child, it really is about the inner flow of the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. our integration point or mm-hmm. our heart point, mm-hmm. some people call it. Um, once we go there, that is where we find our essence, which mm-hmm. we also refer to as that soul child. Mm-hmm. And that is what you just described um, right. moments ago. Do you have an example um, uh, for yourself of your soul child and, mm-hmm. and what your particular soul child was like or how you found yeah. your soul child? Yeah. Well, I, I happen to have happy memories of my bliss. As a matter of fact, I, I recall Joseph Campbell, uh, a famous uh, quote from him um, is, follow your bliss. What a wonderful invitation, isn't it, to mm-hmm. follow that thing that we have within us that we know that life doesn't have to be one big drudgery. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are built-in problems, tragedies, losses, but we do not have to live in the sadness of it all the time because inside we have a memory of bliss. And you can call it paradise if you wish. Um, John Milton wrote uh, famous poems called Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained. And so I ask readers, I mean listeners out there, to read those because it is reminiscent of the bliss that we all have within us that we lose and hopefully that we can regain. Great. Okay. 
So when you're, I guess what, what someone might ask is how do you, how do you find your soul child and how do you, how do you return to that essence? Well, in my memory, what I try to do is visualize the little person that I was. And I find that photographs are very good at that. And family stories. Um, There's a story that I tell that's something that always brings me back to my soul child. I was a sweaty little boy in my backyard in, um, in the 1950s in Mobile, Alabama. And um, a snake came out of the tree. And I was beating on the tree. And I had no idea there was a snake in it. But it came out of a hole in the tree and looked at me. (laughs) And it slithered down. And my little friends were there. And we all were just scared. And I guess we were three, four years old maybe. I'll teach you to beat on trees. Right. And there was a housekeeper there. I think parents were gone and there was a housekeeper. And we went and asked her. Her name was Carrie. I'll never forget it. And we said, Carrie, there's a snake in the tree. You've got to help us. It's going to bite us. And she went straight to the pump house. And she got the hoe. And she, before we knew it, that snake's head was off. Yikes. And, of course, we'd never seen anything like this in our lives. I mean, we were just transfixed. And But the snake's body still was jerking and moving. And we said, Carrie, Carrie, you didn't kill it. The snake is still alive. And she said, no, she said, that snake's tail is going to wiggle till the sun goes down. Speaking of Joseph Campbell and the power of myth, that was one of our first myths that was in it was in vivo. It was happening right then. We were being given information about the way life is that we didn't understand. We were still in the concrete phase of childhood. We didn't understand that there was intermediary life wherein a body could still feel its wiggle and the actual life force not be there, but only the electrical impulses. So we came upon mystery at that early age, and it was given to us by someone wiser and more powerful than we. And I was in my soul child then, and I remember it woke me up. It took me out from my bliss a little bit more. And with each more knowledge we get, we are edged away from mystery into the mind which wants to measure and control everything. Okay. So in that story, you, you remember an innocence. I do. And, and an awe. And an awe. And a wonder. Okay. And mystery being given and told to us, but yet more consciousness coming. Mm-hmm. 
And before we move to Denise, I have a couple of questions for her. Why, again, do we want to find our soul child? Because it is a concrete example that's accessible to us about what our soul is like, the qualities of our soul. And in this society, in our culture, in in the world today, especially with technology, we're cut off from our heads. We we're not really into the wholeness of feel of coming out of our soul. We are coming out of our heads, mm-hmm. or sometimes pure emotion. But head chatter right. is what's consuming us, and as a result, we're disconnected from the primitive, natural, beautiful impulses of our first self. Right. And that's the access to our soul. What would it be like if people spoke from their soul to each other rather from out of their heads? Yeah, on my way to Anniston, I got stuck behind... uh, uh, two trucks and we're at a, a red light Yeah, and the two men are screaming at each other through the windows mm-hmm. and, oh, come over here and I'll, I'll show you a thing or two and they're just yelling back and forth saying things I can't repeat Yeah, and that's a good concrete example of being in, in your ego in a very unhealthy way where getting one car ahead or being late to something, or whatever's frustrating you, is the cause of screaming at another human being and wanting to get into a physical fight. Yeah. And and really, that's that's a um, an example that to the extreme. But but that's what happens in our ego. We lose sight of that joy and that peacefulness and that connection to true love mm. when we are behaving that way and it's unhappy i mean those two men their Mm -hmm. blood pressure i would have loved to have gotten a good check Mm -hmm. on that blood pressure i mean their bodies were in an unhealthy state their minds Mm -hmm. were in an unhealthy state and um i was thankful that my children were not in the car listening to the words that were being said Mm -hmm. none of that is pleasant or good and that's the opposite of returning to your essence Mm -hmm. where you um have unity with others Mm -hmm. We lose the dual dualism of mm-hmm. uh, me versus you, yep. and we realize that we're connected, mm-hmm. just and, like we were when we were a child. Yeah, we were up, upheld by everything because we were part of everything. The ego didn't separate us yet. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is, is we can return to that as adults. We can. We so can Denise, um, you're a student <clears throat> now uh, with the with the. Institute for Conscious Beings training, and you've had an experience of just what we've been talking about, where you learned that that there was a place inside of you, your true nature, uh, your essence, and you've found that place and learned how to, to gain access to it. Can you tell us a little bit maybe about the first time you realized or how you realized that? Sure. We were doing an exercise as a group and looking at a picture of me about four, three, four, four years, years old. old. Okay. And um and we were asked to um to think about that place, that happy place where we would go when we were children, when there was just joy. 
And, of course, my first thought is, oh, I can't do that immediately. I was in the backyard with my dad. He was trying to work in the yard. I was making a mess, running and climbing up the tree and rolling in the grass that he was trying to get together to get out of the way. And I remember experiencing it with all of me. I could hear his voice. I could feel the sunshine. I could smell the grass um, and actually just feel the joy. And nothing inside me said, you shouldn't be doing this. Nothing. I felt nothing but just pure joy. And um, I felt like I could just stay there forever. So, Denise, what Enneagram ego type do you identify with? Type 1. Type 1. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, at your integration point, you're at what type? 7. Okay. And so, when you're describing that pure joy that Mm -hmm. you felt, that is that healthy, integrated place of that ego type 7. That's where you were. Absolutely. And you could feel that again. And you said, I thought it was interesting, you said... And I I didn't feel like I, there was anything I should be doing other than this, that this was okay mm-hmm. to be doing. Because for a moment, you didn't hear that inner critic. That for the a moment, one I didn't hear that voice that I, that told me, oh, you're in the way, you're making a mess, you're getting your dress dirty, you're, I mean, it's just an endless list, that con- that voice that constantly goes And tells me what I should and shouldn't be doing at this moment. And you carry that inner critic with you every day. Oh yeah. And so, so tell tell our audience what it felt like when you were able to reconnect with your soul child to to have a a bit of a break from that. Um, It was very freeing. Uh, It was joyful. Joyful was was the word. It's exactly what the feeling was, and I didn't hear that voice at all. Nothing told me I was doing anything wrong. And I felt like during that exercise, it could have gone on forever. Well, and I have to I have to say, because uh, our audience can't see Denise, but <laughs> Denise has the appearance of um, uh, ego type 1. She's always very put together, neat, very, you know, clean, and... Um, and also uh, has a serious look on her face a good bit mm-hmm. of the time. And as she was just describing, do you, did you see it too? As she was just describing the backyard experience, th- the entire look on her face changed. Smile. Yeah. And she glows. Yeah. She she a smile came over her face. Uh, that that uh, what do you call that? The the furrowed brow. Yeah. Uh, that kind of went away for a moment and really there are no lines on her face right now. She's just kind of peaceful. So there's actually a a physical change too. I think that happens when you feel that joy and you for a moment can return to that place. So nice. Well, okay. Um, Dr. Howell, what, what else? Let's, I have a couple more questions about the soul child. How can our audience access that? Like, what what would you recommend uh, as a way? And we're learning that it's there. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the next mm-hmm. step? Well, I think people have to be careful because, for many people, 
going back <clears throat> to childhood is a problem. Um, there could be a trauma. There could be something that is very negative, that is a buried memory, that um, could be exposed if they delve deeply into their childhood um, without some kind of spiritual companion, um, a spiritual director or a dear friend who um, is not going to be turned off by anything that arises. But um, it, 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 one must be able to deal with what does come up if one does delve into memories of childhood. So I have that as uh, the beginning um, caveat, so to speak. Um, but anyone can do this on any socioeconomic level, any culture, any um, geographical area. If you think about it, this is common to everybody. Everybody was a child. Everybody. And when a child comes into a room, even if you've got the maid, the butler, the lord of the manor, and the lady of the manor, and the ladies-in-waiting, and the king and the queen, and the middle-class people, everybody can relate to a child. They asked the Queen of England what she speaks about when she is talking with people on the street who come to her to bring her flowers or if she's seated next to someone she doesn't know at a banquet, for example. She says, I always ask them about their children. Oh. It makes people feel comfortable because we all have that in common. We were children or we have children or we have nieces or nephews or neighbors or exposure to children, it immediately puts everybody on the same playing field. It knits humanity together. So we can explore our childhood through baby books we may have, through oral history of the family, by asking people older than we what we were like as children and maybe even recording it or um, taking notes as they speak. We can look at old photographs. We can look at old videos, old 8-millimeter movie films. Um, we can ask neighbors in the neighborhood where we grew up and we can make a concerted effort to go back in our mind and ask ourselves what is our first memory and try to visualize that and for many people actually vis visualizing their own backyard or their own first memory of their first bedroom which is their own space or the space within the bedroom they shared with a sibling. Um, those are the forays into re-inhabiting that little soul child.
Mm-hmm. And when that soul child is re-inhabited, we begin to feel the life force again. And that life force is that child within us making itself expressed again. And like Denise said, it is the sheer unconditioned joy that resurfaces. It is the essential aspect, and we'll have a podcast about the essential aspects. Uh, It is the essential aspects of the divine that we were born with and expressed without an ego covering that we begin to express again, except consciously. And that's amazing. Great. And we want to... we. We want to get to this place because, in a lot of ways, it is uh, the antidote for some of the suffering that we have created for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, in my ego type eight, I can look back on my life and see just a, a path of carnage behind me where I was just trying to take care of business, but maybe I was hurting people's feelings or uh, maybe I was trying to control things to the point that I pushed people away mm-hmm. or was hurtful. And even with my children, uh, sometimes just a little bit overbearing and demanding and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. And before long, those behaviors of the eight, the the average to unhealthy eight, mm-hmm. where we are, it's my way or the highway, and it's us mm-hmm. against them, and those kinds of behaviors. When... When that no longer works and you begin to see uh, friendships fail, marriages fail, uh, you begin to have maybe problems in your relationships with your children, with your parents, siblings, etc. What we try to teach with the Institute is how, what do you do about life's sufferings? What do you do about all of the things that cause you to suffer? For, for Denise, for the ego type one, that inner critic, what do you do about that inner critic that's in your head, that follows you everywhere you go, mm-hmm. that tells you that you weren't dressed up enough, you, you didn't exercise long enough, mm-hmm. uh, you could be uh, eating a healthier diet, uh, you need to lose at least 7.25 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have been a better parent and spent more time with them. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's endless, yeah. right? Or after this podcast, we'll try to say, oh, really? You shouldn't have said it that way. You could have said it another way. You forgot to say this, and you really didn't need to say that. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. yeah. So, Constant so criticism. Y- you're suffering. And then the suffering that I experience from my ego, the layers of my ego, the reason we talk about the soul child, the reason that we talk about how to reacquaint with the soul child is to begin to learn how to... Shift. Shift. Good. Yes. It's in the shift. And this is the teaching that we're following from the very first Enneagram teachers. And I think it's a teaching that's been lost, and we're echoing it. And that is, without the shift, you just become a better ego. The shift to the essence, to the soul, to the heart point, to the point of integration, is the shift in consciousness that is a higher consciousness than the ego. 
And so the ego and the essence then have work to do together. The ego leading the soul shuts the soul down. But when the soul leads the ego, the ego is in service of the soul. That's quite different, those two approaches. Good. That's great. That's a great explanation. Okay, so we're coming to the end of our podcast today, and we've talked a little bit about more about the soul child, and it's such a deep subject, and there's so much to say and talk about, and we only, we only have a little bit of time each time to talk about it. Where will we go in our next podcast? We're going to be delivering our promise to talk about the levels of consciousness that are at each of the nine points. Great. Well, thank you, Denise, for joining us today. And thank you, Dr. Howell. Thank you so much. Thank you. I would like to encourage our listeners to come back and hear us again next week on The Real Enneagram. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.